welcome to Cassandra Explains It All, a podcast where we take a magnifying glass to all of our treasures from the past. Well, welcome back, Scott Barber, director of The Guar Doc. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited to do this, talk about Guar and just whatever else comes up. Yes, this is exciting. I mean, we've talked about Guar before, but it was, I mean, the documentary hadn't come out. I wasn't mm-hmm. able to see it yet. So I pretty much was just getting a lesson on what Guar was. Sure. Yeah. With this doc, it does feel like a lesson and a history of the band. It's also this transcendent emotional piece of human behavior. It's slice of life. It's kind of all of those things rolled into one, which is really cool. Pretty much made for everybody. I guess we'll start with where can people find it? Yeah. So on July 21st, it will premiere on Shudder, uh, which is a really great platform for people that don't have it. It's uh, primarily horror films. That's really what it's uh, kind of like a Netflix of horror films. But it's it's not just the, you know, B, but B movie trauma stuff. They have that. But they've also got a lot of high quality stuff on there as well. Not that that stuff's not high quality, but I mean, I I guess I should say high production value. Yeah. And I think there's even like challenges where people will try to watch like every single movie on Shudder and review them, things like that. So I'm definitely going to get into that. Yeah, that's I have heard of that. It's really neat, though. They've got some great documentaries on there. There's one called Scream Queen. That is oh. really um, a really beautiful documentary about uh, the making of, I think it's Nightmare on Elm Street uh, oh, Part 2. Yeah, okay, wow. And it's really great. It, it, it's kind of similar to what I hope that we did with Guar, and that is that it kind of transcends horror. It's actually about something much bigger than that. Um, there's a whole social issue there where, um, you know, they kind of went into homophobia with that movie. And there's kind of a whole thing with the main actor and the director. Uh, but it's really neat. It's really a neat documentary. And then, you know, there's a whole, uh, there's a Cursed Movies uh, docu-series on there that's all about, you know, different movies that were supposed to be quote unquote cursed. You know, the biggest one is Poltergeist. How everyone says <sighs> that movie. so right up my alley. There's really cool stuff. Um, Joe Bob Briggs. I don't know if you remember him. He's got a show on there, The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs, where it's oh, kind of like he'll, okay. he'll watch a horror film. And a lot of times they are like so bad, it's good horror films. Yeah, like mystery science theater style. Exactly. Or like Elvira. It's a lot like oh, Elvira. Wow. Where, where he'll kind of pop in and talk about it. He's not talking throughout the whole thing. He'll kind of pop. That sounds good. We're getting shutter. <laughs> it's official. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> and for people, um, you know, another option is AMC Plus. That's another place that will be too. So um, even if you want to get a free trial or just a, um, you know, a couple of months to check it out, they're both really good depending on what you like. Uh, AMC Plus has everything that's on Shudder, also everything that's on Sundance, uh, IFC, and um, just AMC proper. So they're both really cool options depending on what, what works best for you. But those are the two ways that it can be seen now. A couple of other ways, we are having a limited theatrical run um, I don't know when this episode will um, will come out, but um, the week before it debuts on Shutter, there will be a limited theatrical run at different Alamo Draft Houses. So if there's an Alamo Draft House near you, okay, um, there it may be there. I know for sure Charlottesville, New York, L.A., Houston, Austin, Dallas. Uh, the DC area. There's about 18 different draft houses that it's playing. Very cool. And I know that Guar is coming out with the new record soon, possibly, right? Mm-hmm. They um, are. Yeah, I believe it just came out. Like you can listen to it on Spotify and whatnot. Um, oh, okay. It's out already. And I said it, record like I'm a hundred years old. <laughs> I still call it that too. I mean, that's, it's kind of like how the save button is still a disc, even though it has nothing to do with a disc anymore. It's still a record, even though it's not right on a physical record. Although it is crazy how records are coming back. Like I was even at Walmart the other day and they sell like vinyls and stuff now. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, and I think that Guar is going to have a huge resurgence. I'm in this weird uh, other podcast world where No Jumper is on my radar. And I watched an interview they did with some of the members of Guar. And cool. It was back in the day when you had just started filming the doc Mm -hmm. and they were actually really hesitant to talk about it because they were so hopeful that it could turn into something for them. And they really, you could tell they were treasuring it. Um, And it was really cool. Yeah. I was like, this is really weird to watch and cool. So they were talking (laughs) about it all the way back then? Yeah. Yeah. We've got something in the works. Uh, You know, we'll see. Hopefully, you know, it's just like 
Yeah, it turned out um, fucking amazing. I've never oh. seen a letterbox agree so much in my life. <laughs> um, that's always a good sign. But I've got like so many things here. It's you think you're just going into a movie, a documentary about a band, you know, even like if it was the doors or something, it could get interesting with the sex and drugs and rock and roll. But OK, I have so many questions. OK, uh-huh. <laughs> so. All right. There's a lot to unpack there with Guar. Yeah, there is. It's like at what point with the drug use and the psychedelics and the just absurdist almost like that existential artistic side of them like how much of that were you willing to show allowed to show um I can't believe you went there all of that yeah um you know whenever I talk to Guar which they've been so awesome to work with it's really been a documentarian's dream you know, when I did the Orange Years, I wasn't working with Nickelodeon at all. They didn't want anything to do with the doc. They didn't care. It's not that they, they just didn't care. You know, it was too small of a thing for them to care about. Now, everybody that's in the doc, none of them are at Nickelodeon anymore, for the most part. Some of them have come back since the doc has come out. But um, they were all lovely. You know, Geraldine Laybourne, and Sweeney, Mark Summers, all of those people, they're not at Nickelodeon anymore. But Nickelodeon proper as a corporation now didn't want anything to do with us. So it's not like we had any inside information. They didn't give us any pictures or video. We had to hunt for that ourselves. And then the people from the documentary did give us some stuff. Um, So, you know, that's one downfall of doing something is when the subject doesn't want to work with you at all, or the Mm -hmm. other side, you know, when the subject wants to be so guarded, when they want to kind of like what you're talking about. They want to almost strangle you so much that it's not even your doc. You're not even the director anymore. And Guar was a perfect mixture of both in that they gave me hundreds and hundreds of hours of tapes and video. I mean, uh, photo, every type of video, VHS, mini DVD, um, all sorts of stuff. Uh, Just honesty, just complete honesty, it seemed like. And they let me, because I said first, you know, um, at the very beginning, is there anything that you guys are going to have a problem with me going down? Because I'd rather just know that up front. You know, that's what I really wanted to do is it's always in my past experience, it's always better to have those kind of weird, awkward conversations at the beginning. So you get them out of the way and then there's no place to go except become buds. (laughs) So we had that and it wasn't even a difficult conversation. I just wanted them to be honest and me to be honest with them. And I said, what, what road do you not want me to go down? Because I'd rather know because I don't want to waste a bunch of time talking about it and thinking about it and editing it. And then you guys say, I don't like that. And they really were very cool about it. They said anything. We don't want this. And this is what's so smart. It shows you how smart all those people are. They said, if this just looks like it's made by us, made by us Guar or made as a Guar commercial, nobody's going to like it. It's going to feel fake and phony. You have to show it warts and all. So people really love us and we feel real and so that's what we did you know and I think I hope fans really resonate with it and that you know they say don't meet your heroes it I think everybody in the movie looks awesome I think that Guar is all amazing past present members everybody but it is real there may be things that people uh didn't know or didn't want to know about some of the people in there but that's you know that's reality. It's so good. And yeah, they're very vulnerable. They're unpacking the deaths of two bandmates, just years and years of traveling, touring, living on this like grunge punk crust lifestyle, Mm -hmm. never caring about money, being famous or infamous, but never famous. Right. Uh, You know, they are Beavis and Butthead's favorite band, which I saw Mm -hmm. Beavis and Butthead is back on Paramount. So I'm wondering if Guar will make an appearance there. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. I love how you were able to unpack all of that while you're simultaneously telling this extremely heavy story, but also the graphics that you're showing in between are so intricate and so fascinating. This It's so um, beautiful to watch. It's just so enriching in every way. And I guess that's why it's performance art, right? But I think that you carried that theme through the entire editing of the film and it's just so good. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, And I have to give a shout out to our editor, uh, Casey Pinkston. 
Um, you know, I usually do a lot of the editing, like on the Orange Years. I wasn't the only editor, but I did a lot of the like structural editing. And on this one, I was a lot less hands-on with the editing process. I really just kind of organized things for him and kind of, and then I wrote out the, um, the structure that I wanted. I kind of made a little mock video of how I wanted it to go. Um, and he did all the hard, heavy lifting there. So his name is Casey Pinkston and he's a, a filmmaker himself. He has a movie on um, Hulu called Red Dog that is really awesome. It's really, really good. I think you would really like it. It's a lot, I knew he was the right guy to do it. Um, randomly, we knew each other. We went to high school <laughs> together. That's so cool. um, and I don't keep up with anybody from my high school at all. <laughs> like it's not, you know, I went to a, you know, small rural Texas high school. There's not a lot of people that do, you know, art and stuff like that, but me and him connected and he had made a movie. It was really weird. He made a movie at the same time I made a movie. They both got picked up by Gravitas and they both ended up on Hulu, but Red Dog is really neat. It's about this group of people that worked at a strip club in the 70s and they became a family. So it's Aww. really it's really taking a look at something that at first you might go, oh, this is going to be weird and icky and kind of, you know, I don't know, edgy or whatever, you know, and then it's not, it's actually really a lovely, beautiful story about these people. Yeah, they worked at a strip club. They were the dancers, the waitresses, the owners, the bartenders, the, um, the bouncers, but they all became this family. And so it's not really what you expect to see from this movie. Uh, and it's really awesome because they're all older now. That's and I feel like that's how this movie is too. I mean, you it's not what I expected at all, but that's I didn't great. know a lot about Guar to begin with. So, it's also, um, I know that one of their really big fans is Hank the Third, right? Um, yeah, which is wild. And when I saw that in the documentary, I was like, I think it was in the doc, I'm not sure. I thought, well. Hank III also really likes the wild and wonderful whites of West Virginia, which is a really similar doc, not similar doc, but like it runs the same theme of like, these people look really fucked up from the outside and they are, but there's something so much deeper going on here. That is a part of Americana. Mm. Um, and Guar is definitely Americana. They are. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> They're woven into, you know, the lexicon forever, I feel like. And I think it's interesting that it's hard. It was hard for me to tell, like, I'm coming into it thinking like, where do these people stand politically? They're just anarchists. Um, you know, I did watch them perform a few abortions on stage. So mm -hmm. that's great for everybody, I feel like. And <laughs> I just like that they decide to choose to commit so fully to their passion and to their art, because I have had other artists tell me that, you know, you have to have one solid idea in mind, but then to see someone like the, the core founders of Guar just completely let go to their creative inhibitions is um, inspiring. And that comes through in the documentary, like big time. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's the thing about them. You can, they, whatever that is, when it's true artistry, you know, and it's hard to say what it is, but they tapped into it. They are, they had their, they were tapped into that vein of something very pure and raw and true. And that really can't be contained, which is why I think they never really were able to, or more importantly, wanted to cross over into the mainstream, because the moment you start telling them what to do and giving them rules, that beauty kind of dies or is, is, is made less beautiful. So they really have done a wonderful job, haven't they? Of They've never been in the mainstream. They've never really got radio airplay, but they're doing great. <laughs> you know, they're, they're doing a lot better than other bands that did make it on the radio. It's so interesting to see the people that try to pull them into like Mike Judd and it, it just speaks yeah. to their character. So like, it is mind blowing that you put like that much history into two hours and it doesn't feel like two hours of a long run time. <clears throat> It feels like an hour and 30 minutes. Thank like, you. How did you do that? <laughs> that? Well, that was one of the things from the very beginning. You know, for some reason, there's this like rule that I don't even think should be a rule. And it's really not a rule that 90 minutes, like you said, is like the sweet spot that you should hit. Yeah. And we just were looking at it. We're saying there's no way, you know, there's just no way it can happen. Um, you know, because you can make something. This is just my opinion. And um, what I've seen is 
when you shorten something too much, it actually can feel longer because if you're not connecting with the characters and not connecting with the story, it becomes a burden. So that was our thing when we would try to shorten it, it actually felt longer because if you don't fall in love with all of these people, you don't care when bad stuff happens to them. You know, yeah, it's sad when you hear anything bad happening in the world, but when you connect with them, when you feel like you know that person, it's like way worse. So that was difficult. And even, you know, when we talked to the Guar guys, they had to let go a lot because this is 30 years of their life. And, you know, some of them would say, God, it just feels like so much is missing. And it's like, you're right. There is so much that's there's Huge so much more. Chunks, that, right. There's so much more I wish we could go into. Uh, but, you know, I mean, we can't make it three hours long. I would love for it to be a three part series, but that's really difficult to make happen. That was kind of our happy medium. Yeah, it's about uh, like an hour and just shy of two hours. But I think, you know, thank you for saying that, because that was what I always thought was that it doesn't feel it doesn't feel long when I watch it. But then again, I. I can't really critique my own thing. Right. Know? It's hard to. At one point, I'm watching this movie as a music history documentary. And at another point, I'm watching it as a political statement mm-hmm. history documentary. It's so interesting in that way that you can view it through so many different lenses. And I mark my words, do think it will become a cult classic that is played at parties by high schoolers drinking forever and ever. Amen. that would be awesome but I mean I'm serious though like it's it's very I mean just by the nature of Guar themselves being so interesting and thought-provoking the documentary is so interesting and thought-provoking and it gave me a hangover I mean I thought I think about it for days every time I watch it and it (laughs) makes me change my perspective on different things you know the first time I watched it I thought I would never go to a Guar show ever now I'm like, oh yeah, definitely, definitely I would go. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. I know, right? I'm the same way. Like I'm addicted to it now. I, yeah. that, you know, I, I got a little bit spoiled because I got to be in that little, you know, like you'll see in the doc for people that haven't seen it. We get a lot of footage of their, a lot of concert footage. And that's another thing that I, that, you know, I filmed four or five concerts with multiple cameras and I'd love for that to end up somewhere, you know, on the DVD, which there will be a DVD Man. release. I should say that um, there will be a DVD release as well as iTunes, Amazon, all those other places that if you want to digitally uh, rent it or digitally purchase it, that will happen. Shutter's just going to keep it on their platform first since they're the ones that have you know, purchase the rights, they want to keep it there first, which is totally understandable. And then later on, they will then put it on the other ones. So uh, I'm working on a bunch of special features and I hope some of that footage is there, but I was spoiled because I got to film those concerts right at the, you know, right in front of the stage. And it, there's really nothing that you can compare it to. It's just incredible. You know, when you get like covered in that blood and when you're you know, you, you, you walk outside and you look at yourself and you, you look like you've been part of some cult ritual, you know, you're just covered in blood, red and green and your skin is totally dyed. It's just, it's insane. That was one of the most interesting parts of the movie to me was when they were discussing just that it felt too cult-like um it was going in a darker direction yeah and then michael bishop comes in almost angelic and the whole scene changes that was mm-hmm. also interesting also another standout moment for me was when they were talking about performing in the desert with this gear on and I'm just like imagining how hot and miserable it must have been and I just can't imagine touring like that having to wear those costumes even going to a show seems exhausting yeah like that's so intense um, but it's it so is. cool because it feels the way that they tell it. I mean, you can totally imagine it and it feels like you're there. It's wild. Like everything about them is such DIY, hardworking, just on a surface level. Like you said, simply playing in those costumes is insane. You know? Yeah. And then also bringing that stuff all over the world. I think that's one thing that I know I took for granted about Guar before I did this documentary is you know, you're always like, oh, that's awesome. I love Guar. Their show is so crazy. You know, uh, I feel like Guar is a little bit like Motorhead and Misfits in that they're one of these bands that everybody likes, like not just punk, metal, alternative. It's just they're kind of one of those crossover bands that 
everyone thinks is kind of cool. And I, so I always thought they were so cool and so awesome, but then you don't stop and think about it. You're like, wait, but how do they transport all that stuff? Where does that stuff come from? And that's what, you know, I think one of the things that comes through in the dock is they make all that stuff and they, they don't have a huge crew. It's not like this big show, like a big, you know, major label pop star would have. They bring that stuff all over the place. They get to their venue at 10 o'clock in the morning to set all of that up because the first thing they have to do is cover, they have to put um, uh, carpet down so they don't ruin the stage. They have to put like paper, uh, like vinyl over all of the speakers and all over the delicate stuff. Then they have to set up. Then they have to sound check. They have to make sure everything works. 10 in the morning, you know, and then on top of that, then all the stuff that a band does, you know, sound checking, moving in instruments. And then they get done around one and then they travel and then start all over again. It's just crazy. And then, you know, in their off time, they're not just writing <laughs> songs. They're also, they have to write a show because it's every Guar show is kind of like a little play. So mm-hmm. they have to write a storyline. They have to make new creatures, uh, new characters. They're constantly doing all that stuff. Um, but the costume just, design is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's so cool to see all the behind the scenes stuff with that too. Just from the simple stuff that they they make into costumes from the really weird outlandish things you would never think of that they make mm-hmm. into pieces and props. It's just awesome. <laughs> I thought it was cool too. As, as I got to know them, everybody kind of has their, of the artists. Um, which, you know, that's one thing that's really cool is Guar is not musicians. The, the guys, uh, Bobby, Matt, and before that, Hunter and Chuck and Danielle, um, they're all every bit as crucial to the band as the musicians. They are, um, Guar is not musicians. They're a collective of people that do all sorts of things. And I think that's really cool. Um, but uh, it, it's just a really neat thing. And um Oh, and what do you, joke question, but for real, yeah. what do you think is the crossover between the, these guys that like Digimon, Pokemon, Power Rangers and pro wrestling and Guar? Yeah. Um, you, Guar is one of those things. And this is what I hope really comes through in the doc is that there's a lot of different entry points of what can make you like Guar. If you're into metal, certainly that's the most obvious. They're right. And they've, they're on, they've been on Metal Blade records since the 80s. They're not now, but they were. Um, but another entry point is people that are into horror. They, For me, it's the total destruction of humanity as we know it. The political, and that's another, yeah, <laughs> I agree, yeah. And um, the, the political satire, I don't think people that maybe haven't, aren't super familiar, understand how funny they are and how much of a social commentary there is that it is this really smart, intelligent thing disguised as this boneheaded disgusting thing and you know such a trojan horse it is yeah (laughs) if you're into comic books sci-fi dungeons and dragons if you're into any of those things that's an entry point to why you should like guar because really guar is all of those things meshed into one really cool thing I just can't believe they got, I mean, I can believe it because Nickelodeon, but I am shocked or Nickelodeon, uh, Viacom. I'm shocked they made it onto MTV and they could have, should have been on Ren and Stimpy now that I think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy that they, um, were nominated for a Grammy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That was really fun to hear all the stories of when they went to the Grammys. That was a good part of the movie too. I like that. That's a really fun fun part I like that part too yeah slime minstra hyman she seems like I I think I don't want to be biased but my favorite of yeah. the whole group and um electro woman is that what she was into like towards the end of her run with them yeah yeah she did uh she did a lot of crazy stuff oh, she did so something cool. called girly freak show and then yeah she did the Ms. electro where she would shoot okay almost become like a tesla thing That's so and cool. um Guar was not into that. It, it, it to an extent it makes sense because on one hand it's super it is safe to do that, but also you never know when you mix. You know, essentially at a Guar show you're in a puddle of water the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> so right. Oh god, yeah. In a puddle of water, um, but yeah, she's awesome <laughs> and she's still doing great. That's another thing I think is interesting that we really wanted to show in the doc is that any of these people could have made a bunch of money because they're all so talented. The musicians could have been this. Yeah new metal band and I mean, been I feel all over like MTV. They were kind of all from Virginia, Richmond. I mean, they were mm-hmm. all like kind of had families to fall back on maybe. I'm just assuming. 
Mm-hmm. It, it seemed like they were there because they wanted to be. Yeah. And they're, they, this is what they've dedicated their life to. And w- one way I think you can see how talented these people are is the people that have left what they've gone on to do. They've all been successful in the industry. For example, you know, like you were mentioning Sly Manstraheim and Danielle Stamp, she owns her own uh, shop in Los Angeles that does movie sets. Oh, cool. Wow. So, I mean, that's what she does now. She's that talented and that skilled. Right. Um, you know, in Guar is kind of where she honed those skills. Uh, Chuck Varga, who is this executioner, he's now in New York and he makes props for Broadway and TV. And, um, you know, it's just kind of interesting how all of these people, it shows you how talented they are because when they, they go on to do other things, they're, of course, very, very successful. I mean, with the timing of this movie coming out, do you, you don't think it's, I mean, do you find it ironic that they're from Richmond and that's the capital of the Confederacy? Um, I like that you point that out in your film. <laughs> it is kind of funny that it ended up that way. Um, right. That um, that was one thing Guar always said, you know, they they uh, there's an, a TED talk with Michael Bishop and, you know, he said they were from Antarctica because in a lot of ways that's less <laughs> horrible than, <laughs> you know, being from the capital of the Confederacy. He doesn't say that, but he says, I guess that that's more bizarre that they come from that. Right. Right. And it really kind of shows you um, Richmond's weird vibe, you know, that it is this kind of weird, dangerous mixture of a lot of different cultures and not not sometimes in a good way sometimes in a bad way um and yeah that you know they were right as we were finishing up the dock the um the a lot of the statues were being pulled down and stuff like that and we were seeing that and i have to say it was shocking because i i even live in texas you know so i've seen stuff like that in my life but to go into richmond and like see like you know, a big, huge Confederate statue, like right in the middle of downtown. It is a little weird for mm-hmm. me. To, I was like, whoa, it's not like it's just somewhere off in the corner or something. It's like a centerpiece. Yeah. Um, and that's how people say it. Guar is so weird, but it's like reality is so weird. And this film plays like a steampunk novel. Oh, cool. But that's real. And it's like, how is this real? <laughs> like, Mm-hmm. you know but it is I mean reality's fucked up and this is the yeah. counterculture to that I would say um, that's and one I, thing that they say oh go ahead I mean I would say they you know Mr. Rogers said look for the, the helpers I don't know if Guar is really helping but it's somewhere to look um that's mm-hmm. definitely not it's you know not as bad as the news I would say yeah <laughs> that's one thing that the Guar guys have joked about in the you know in the later years they've always tried to be super crazy and wild and offensive and they've said with as crazy and wild as the real world is it's hard for them to top it (laughs) it's hard for them to be more offensive than the way the actual real world is now truly i feel like this could be um guar the world needs you now more than ever yeah yeah please to come destroy us (laughs) yeah Yeah. we we have run out of drugs so destroy us all yeah (laughs) i love that that guar hates humans so much they just want to kill them and that's their main. They're just angry that they have to be there. It's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, Dave Rocky credits mm-hmm. his Monty Python for his unusual artistic exploration. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. That is interesting. Um, I think that that's funny that that's what, for those that don't know, there are a couple of clips of Dave Rocky that have not been seen. There yeah. were interview clips that we did not get, but um, Don Draculich, um, of Guar, um, who plays Sleazy P. Martini. And he's been a crucial member of Guar. He's the, I mean, he's the one that started using latex and he's the one that um, started the spew. I mean, that's cute because that's what you think of Guar, big latex costumes and shooting blood. So, you know, there's so many members that are crucial to Guar uh, and he's certainly one of them, but he had filmed some interviews um, before Dave had passed. And he was kind enough to let us use a couple of clips from that. We didn't want to use too much because mm-hmm. they want to do something with it later, which I think will be awesome. But we used a couple of clips from Dave Brocky in there. And I think that's interesting that that's what he said, you know, rather than saying a metal band or a punk band, you know, one of his major influences was Monty Python. And I think that makes total sense in, yeah. in who Guar is. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense um, for Guar's manager. And okay. With the Orange Years documentary, it was 
you know, crowdfunded at first mm -hmm. and a passion project. And then it mm -hmm. kind of just blew up and became serious and it got a platform, but a, like a lot of hard work and mm -hmm. everything went into that. Like, how did it help you in this way? Or how was it different going into this documentary being the second one oh, um, okay. after the success of the orange years, you know? Well, you know, it, it did help being able to say that I had a documentary and particularly when it did get on Hulu and people had seen it, it was just from that like business side, it was a little bit easier for me to make things happen just because I wasn't as much of a risk. Mm -hmm. I could say, you're not, you know, with Orange Years, it was like, please take a risk on me. I'm this dude I've never made. I've never made a movie before. I have no connections in the industry. Please, you know, be in me and Adam was my, um, you know, my partner in that. Please be in our movie. <laughs> Neither of us had made a movie. So um, now that was certainly easier just being able to have that like notch on our belt. And also I certainly knew how to do things a lot better because or the Orange Years was really hard um, to do because we did have to do it all on our own. So I kind of knew what to do from the beginning. And I knew, um, you know, how to book interviews a little bit better, how to book locations, how to manage a budget a little bit better. Right. So, and for example, I didn't have to crowdfund this one. Thank goodness. Um, I love crowdfunding and um, it was awesome to get to crowdfund because it was cool to become part of that Nickelodeon community. And we met so many great people right from the beginning because of the crowdfund. But crowdfunds are, for anybody that's done them, you know, it's incredibly hard to do them. It's a lot of work. And um, it's just, it's like, we were able to get some people to invest. The budget, you know, for both of these is insanely low for a documentary, especially for a documentary that makes it on any streaming platform. But um, we were able to get some people to invest from the very beginning in us because we could say, look, our last one we did was on Hulu. This is going to go somewhere. Um, so we were able to get, um, you know, get funding and just everything happened. People took us a little more seriously on this one. And I know I was a way better filmmaker on this one. You know, we went into it thinking uh, if you look at the shots, uh, I'm really proud of the orange years, but it's my first movie and I was learning and I, there's a lot I didn't know about the shots. I think for Guar look way better. They're way more beautiful. We went into it, me and the cinematographer for Guar, his name is Jacob Halinga. He's an insanely talented guy. Um, he worked camera for the orange years for a couple of interviews. And he and I came up with how do we want to shoot these? What's a unique way to shoot these? So we came up with a specific look that we wanted. And um, we didn't just shoot them like a traditional way. You know, with Orange Ears, it was like, okay, frame them up and put a light on them and that's it. You know, and we shot them however we could. And there wasn't, we just shot it like, you know, we watched documentaries on TV and kind of shot them like that. But with this, we had a certain way, like everybody that's in Guar, we shot slightly different than everybody else. And we lit it a little different. And, um, you know, we were a little more artistic with our B camera shot. And I just, I knew a lot more about that stuff, how to make it a better thing from the, from the get go. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, and you are certainly investing a lot of time and energy into it, right? Even if the overall cost is low compared to a big budget movie, that's the thing. Um, because to really truly get like a slice of life documentary like that, that is true and resonates with people you really have to live the like be in the experience and yeah. transcend the experience which is a full-time job you know right you know and I, I sometimes you know it's coulda shoulda woulda we spent so much time with those folks you know there was one time where we just went to Richmond for a week and there was you know four or five days where we just followed them on the road and then on one hand you're like ah all this you know it's in a you know hour and 52 minute documentary there's all this footage that didn't even make it in did we waste our money but then you know i just think no we didn't because we had all those beautiful moments we had to be filming for eight hours a day to get that even if it's like a 20 second shot it's it's in there and it helped us get to know them and understand their vibe we had to know who they were so we could make the audience understand who they were because everybody in guar which i'm sure you saw and people that when they see it they're all different no, there's mm -hmm. no two people in guar that you're like oh those two have kind of the same personality they're all so different and they're all amazing people and you have to get to know and love all of them and uh, that's what we really wanted to do so we i'm glad we got to know them all really really well 
Yeah, I feel like you have to have you have to have substance there to be able to distill it down to something that people can digest easily, which is hard with a subject like that, I would imagine. <laughs> I would imagine a lot of time and energy and thought went into the progression and the structure of this movie. Mm-hmm. I can only begin to imagine. Yeah, this we we played all over the place with what's the structure? What do we want to do? Do we want to do this quirky, weird thing? And really, it kind of was like just the story of Guar. <laughs> yeah, because what's the target audience? It's like, it's certainly, yeah. I don't think the target audience is one specific demographic. I think that mm-hmm. this is a movie for everybody. That's what we really wanted to do. And that's what I tell people that haven't seen it that that I that I know just in my personal or professional life or whatever that don't know much about them. I say it does not matter if you are into heavy metal or horror or whatever. Like this is just a story of people and that being true to yourself. And it's just that's what we wanted to do is it doesn't ma- it's not about that. It's not a rock and roll doc. It's not even a doc about a band. That's not really because that's not really what Guar is. So it's not really what the doc is. It's almost, um, I mean, to my knowledge, maybe one of the only documentaries of what a long-term art collective looks like, Mm, you know? That's cool. So, of course, I'm always asking what's next. You know, do you have something in mind already for what's next? Yeah, I do. Um, I've got a couple of projects and um, I don't know how much I can talk about them we're like you were talking about how i've made the last two i made them both the same way and that is just get money wherever you can find it and you know you don't make any money yourself you just go spend you know a year of your life filming this stuff and uh crashing on people's couches or wherever in a car and make it and then hope at the end of the day you make a little bit of money (laughs) you know and you really don't make a lot it's crazy how much um how not much I've made just to be totally honest and vulnerable with the orange years. I think people think because it's on Hulu that I must be um, making a lot of money, but we, we haven't. And that's just, that's nothing against Hulu or Gravitas. That's just kind of the nature of the beast, I guess right now, Mm -hmm. but um, we're really trying to flip it. And hopefully now that we're able to say, you know, we've got one that's AMC one that's at Hulu, somebody take a, a risk on us and make a documentary hire us to make a documentary for you. You know, you see a lot of these like Netflix originals that were made for Netflix from the beginning. Now, I'm not saying Netflix, that'd be kind of, I think I'm thinking too high to try to do that. But, you know, somebody else like that, a network to hire us to make a documentary for them. No, I I mean, I think that's totally realistic, but it's like, I feel like they go into such dark waters, right? Mm -hmm. They Um, do, yeah. Which is interesting (laughs) yeah interesting and I also wonder you know do you see yourself doing just more editing work on a larger scale in the future just because of some doors that might have opened or connections through this I know that because I know that a lot of um, actors uh, end up directing and writing Mm -hmm. and doing things like that and I would imagine it's the same kind of you know with film and editing yeah I mean I I I help other people on their projects too not directing doing camera or some sort of post-production and and I love doing that I think it's cool to have this community of people that all kind of help each other on each other's projects you know like I said Casey is a director himself and he was an editor for for this I worked um some camera I did some additional camera work I think that's my credit is additional photography for um uh, my friend Tommy Avalone's Barney three-part Barney series that's going to be out on PBS uh no I'm sorry it's going to be out on Peacock it's about a PBS um property uh Barney but uh, and Tommy was a producer on on Guar, so we know each other real well. But yeah, I mean, and that is one thing, you know, that, you know, um, it's hard to pitch yourself as a director, like the, like you're saying, the technical stuff like cinematography, camera editing, that's easier, you know, in a way because people need those. So um, more people need those, like every director needs one of mm-hmm. those. So yeah, I'd love to get, I still love doing that stuff and I love editing. I think it's so much fun. And me and Casey, the, the fella I keep talking about who edited this, we're, we're kind of hope to work on other stuff, co-direct stuff together in the future because we just work so incredibly well together. And 
um, you know, kind of do it all, you know, have our hands in the filming and in the editing and kind of mm-hmm. just do it all. Uh, and hopefully, you know, if we do move into a bigger arena, we're still allowed to do that. You know, I know some places you get to do that and some places you don't. Um, so we would certainly fight to still get to, I love getting my hands dirty. I don't want to be those direct, one of those directors that doesn't ever edit or shoot anything. I mean, I would, I'll do it, but <laughs> that's like not a, what I prefer. It's like a Judd Apatow situation. Like when you bring the actors, they have to like kowtow to your demands. So you just have to, mm. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. this is the crew and that's it. Yeah. Is, is there any, ever any stories that do interest you, but you think might even be like dangerous to try and approach? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I would kind of love to do that. <laughs> you know, I, I think that this documentary, I think, was really cool to work on. And again, I'm really proud of the Orange Years. I really love it. And um, this one has a lot more, um, I don't want to say darkness to it, but like controversy. Like there's a lot more crazy stuff that happens in it. It's um, definitely I, not just nostalgia. It's not just nostalgia. It's not bright and sunny. And it's not this. Yeah, the story of you know, like the Orange Years is a triumphant story. It's a triumphant. Yeah, feel good. And yeah, this one, I think this one's feel good too. But this um, is the real grit of America. It's w- more warts and all. Yeah, for sure. And some of that, you know, the orange years, I got to say, because, you know, it's about the super talented Jerry Laybourne. There weren't a lot of warts at that time because she was so awesome. And everyone says, oh, why don't you go into Dan Schneider and John Kay and all this stuff? And it's like, well, that was after her, you know, it's like mm-hmm. after her stuff went off the rails. Well, John Kay was, you know, during her time, but he started getting crazy and cra- they fired him. Unfortunately, um, I just did an episode on John Kay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> interesting. Oh, so bad. It, you know, we unfortunately put uh, what's his, uh, Drake Bell in the movie. <laughs> we thought that was such a huge get at the time. We're like, he's such a big star. And we thought, you know, w- he would help us connect with a newer audience because mm-hmm. he was later. And we're like, oh, younger people that don't know about all this 80s stuff will come because of him and having him say, oh, this old stuff is awesome. Will be cool. And then, you know, we get that all the time. We're like, why'd you put that guy in there? He's a groomer. And it's like, yeah, I wish I hadn't too. He, that hadn't come out yet when we filmed it, you know, right. at the time he was the, he was arguably one of the biggest stars. I mean, we've got Keenan Thompson in there. Who's huge, but well, you know, like Drake- to me, I don't, I'm not, you know what I mean? I wouldn't be able to pick him out of a lineup. I only know him because of the things I know, yeah. but <laughs> to me, it's like Alex Mack, right? Yeah. Same. Mark Summers. Holy there- shit. There's definitely, you know, working on Guar, some of the stuff in there, we were like, what's the next logical progression? And there are some some things that are in there that we want to, uh, particularly the part where, you know, Dave Brockie, there's a really funny part where he gets arrested and all this stuff happens. The satanic panic that was in the early 80s, there's a, 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 a path we're going down there to try to work on something and that one could have dangerous repercussions just because of the, some of the people i think so um, doesn't it feel yeah. like um it's necessary in it a way? is yeah and i would i would love to do that you know to do something um you know because i think part of being a documentarian it's like half being an artist you know being a filmmaker but then also being a journalist and i would love to sink my teeth more into that part you know the journalistic part where you are kind of putting yourself in a dangerous situation and you are uncovering things that have not been uncovered at this point. So yeah, uh, yeah, I'd love to do that. Yeah, like when I watched the Orange Ears, I thought, you know, I just had the impression he likes wholesome things. Mm -hmm. And then after this, I'm like, oh no, like this is going to transform. We're not staying in one lane. So (laughs) that's great, which is cool. I think they both, I thought about that. I was like, what's the same, what's the kind of bond of these two movies that I did? And I think they're both underdog stories. And they're yeah. both people that made art on their own, um, their own way and didn't listen to what the mainstream said. You know, Guar certainly has done that, but so did Jerry Laybourne. You know, she did it the way she wanted to do. And she was a trailblazer and people constantly told her, this is wrong. This is not what you're supposed to do. I mean, even her just being a woman, you know, people didn't always take her seriously. And, you know, Anne Sweeney, who was her kind of second in command, who went on to be, I mean, president of Disney TV, you know, is huge. You know, I love that line where she says, someone calls her honey, you know, like, oh, honey, I'll never sell to you. And it's like, I bet you feel like a dumbass now for saying that to her. Right. You know, now everybody wants their stuff on Nickelodeon and everybody probably wants to work with her. The same with Vanessa Coffey, who 
was the creator of Nicktoons, you know, which now creator-driven cartoons are everywhere. Steven Universe, Owl House, um, Adventure Time. It's that's the way to go. And how many people kind of didn't take her seriously? So anyway, well, all it's that the is counterculture, say, right? The I mean, counterculture, people that did stuff their own way um, and and didn't didn't bow down to what society told them to do. And they're I think they're both triumphant stories because they were both underdogs that triumphed. And I think in a way they both just kind of the subject brought the project to life. You know, Jerry Laybourne's story was more wholesome and without as many warts. So that's what it became. Guar's story is grittier. So that's what it became, you know? Yeah. It seems like our country is in such a divided place right now and counterculture is more relevant than ever. You know, in the nineties, it was just simply watching Nickelodeon that was letting us see real kids. Then it could, it was guar with their craziness, but now there's some type of a movement happening in the counterculture in this Mm. country. Uh, just because of all the civil unrest and mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see what comes of that and yeah. <laughs> I do think that mm-hmm. a part of our subculture has become um, you know nobody watches tv anymore everybody's cut the cord in reality yeah. a lot of us are probably we have apps like shutter or um, we're going to buy it, purchase it online. And the people that are making documentaries like you, the people that are making podcasts, making zines, all of these things um, that aren't sponsored and made by networks, that is the you know counterculture right now. And that's where you're finding a lot of like the truth of what's going on, which is mind-blowing to me. But I think that's really cool that you found a way to just kind of explore all of these things that we wouldn't get a chance to normally explore. It's such a cool window. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, it's it's so awesome. I'm really, I feel really lucky that I've gotten to do this, to get to meet so many amazing artists and, you know, have them trust me with their story is really, um, you know, really means a lot to me. I bet it's mind blowing. <laughs> it kind of um, is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does, it seems crazy. But I'll, I'll be excited to see what happens next, what your next project's going to be. And of course, I'll post this as soon as the documentary is released or a little before. I don't know. Thank you so much for coming back on. And we'll talk to you again on the next episode later.
Nobody wins. 